Blog Talk Radio. well-known company in this industry, designing, engineering, and building customized passerelles and tender launching systems, among other things, for some of the world's most prominent yachts and yacht owners. It also customizes solutions for commercial marine and military applications, and it even has a particularly interesting series of medical products for wounded servicemen and women, which we'll also learn about more today. So let's get started. Rick, thanks so much for joining us here on Mega Yacht News Radio. It's my pleasure to be here, Diane. Terrific. You know, most people in the yacht industry have an interesting story about how they ended up in their current career. I know you started in the um, in the marine business in the commercial diving sector. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got there? Oh gosh, <laughs> I don't know if we've got enough time. But <laughs> you, you know, when you're when you're when you're 20 years old and immortal, you know. The, the world looks different to you, and I did go into the commercial diving industry, worked out of uh, New Orleans, actually home of Louisiana, and uh, worked for a very well-known offshore company that specialized in laying pipeline and doing riser work on oil rigs, and uh, enjoyed that a lot. Um, it was everything a young man would probably want as a someone who was you know, just passionate about diving and wanted to make a career out of it. And uh, then I uh, got engaged to become married and found out that I probably needed to change my lifestyle a little bit if I was going to do that. And I moved back to Florida and started to work for my father, who had a residential boat lift business. Um, thought I would find another job in commercial diving, but uh, apparently that wasn't my destiny because I ended up uh, uh, developing the nautical structures product line and, and uh, name brand uh, as I worked in my dad's shop uh, building residential boat lift equipment. Um, started building little davits for Vince Lazera and the Gulf Star line and uh, then worked with Dick Lazera as they started building bigger motor yachts and uh, kind of just branched off from there. Sounds good. So how, um, well obviously we know how you got the inspiration for nautical structures, um, but when was the company founded? Mm, we actually uh, trademarked the name in 1986, and at that time it was a division of the Davit Master Corporation, and then I think it was uh, early 1987 that we actually created a separate standalone corporation called Nautical Structures Incorporated. And uh, you know, so I point to eighty six, eighty seven is the is the is the genesis of of the nautical structures organization. Okay. Now you were just mentioning a few minutes ago um, your work with the Lazara family um, in the Gulf Star days. Um, you know, in the the early days of nautical structures, were you doing mostly straightforward products, or were you doing customized solutions right from the start? Oh gosh, we we were. We were so naive and and um, what should I say uh, unsophisticated. We were foolish enough to take on whatever came our way. Um, 
which in a, in a couple instances almost put us out of business, quite frankly. Um, but at the same time, we, we, we sure learned a lot. We sure learned a lot about working in this industry, um, school hard knocks, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. had, uh, fortunately, mostly good projects. Um, because we weren't very sophisticated in our engineering, I think our products in the early stages were way overbuilt. Um, and uh, most of what we did was aftermarket refit work. Um, we weren't really plugged into the new construction, uh, what we call the OEM business at the time. It was more uh, end-user clients and aftermarket jobs. Now, you know, besides the fact that you all learned you know, from project to project. What else would you say is one of the biggest differences between the early days of nautical structures and now? You know, is it advances in technology? Um, Is it even more knowledge on the part of the owners and their teams? Um, Is it a difference in the way the boats are being used? You know what? All of the above and then some, Diane. Um, You have a more mature yachting industry. I mean, if you look at how yachts are built today compared to 20 years ago, um, you know, the, the Yacht Builders is more of an assembling organization, um, and and the businesses that are supplying and supporting the Yacht Builder today are much more mature companies that are, you know, very specialized. Uh, Nautical Structure is a good example of that. Um, we we you know get up every morning with a dedicated purpose of developing and building deck crane tender handling systems and pastoral boarding equipment um, and that's all we do so we've got a strong engineering staff we we recognize opportunities and 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 chase those opportunities we develop new technologies um, we perfect technologies and these are things that a you know a mature company ultimately is able to achieve and that's I think probably our biggest claim to success is that the maturing of our organization, the ability to have built a strong engineering staff, a strong service department, um, come together to 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 hang, allow us to offer something to the uh, boat builder and mm-hmm. the boat builders and client. Right, right. Now, do you find that the decisions about the deck cranes and the passerelles and the other products that you're being requested to make are being driven by say, an owner's representative or the crew more than the owners themselves? Or are you finding the owners to be pretty technically savvy these days as well? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I could almost write a dissertation on that one. (laughs) I'll bet you could. I'm sure you've seen everything. (laughs) You know, when you talk to crew, unfortunately, they'll tell you that, that their input, with rare exception, happens too late in the game. Normally, I'll get the comment you know, wow, I was so happy to see that this boat that I came on has got your equipment, Rick, or, you know, I, I, I gave my owner, a, you know, a ration of it because he went with something cheaper and, and, and I've had problems with this before and I sure wish I had your stuff. Right. Um, that's the crew perspective generally. By and large, what drives the decision to put nautical structures equipment on a boat is either one the shipyard they've had a lot of good experience or they've got a long-standing relationship with our company and 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 that's their preferred um, product to put on their boat um, a lot of projects today are designed starting with the naval architecture 
and and the architect and the yacht designer that is putting the project together. Some of these projects are so complex, and and uh, when you look at some of the tender handling systems that are being uh, developed and put in some of these larger boats, particularly, you you, you can't kind of come to the table as an afterthought and say, oh, by the way, what are we going to put on this boat? Um, you know, quite a number of these boats are, are designed around um, the, the tender garages and the tender handling equipment. So, you know, we'll find ourselves involved in a project a year before it starts, before the keel's laid, and we'll look at the project after it's been delivered and realize we've just spent the last four or five years um, working this project from concept to uh, final completion. Mm, right, right. Yeah, I was curious about that because, you you know, you figure the owners are the ones who are making a lot of decisions about, obviously, you know, the size of the boat, the decor, the systems and whatnot, but they are getting a lot of input from their closest advisors, and in particular where it comes to the Davits and the Passerelles, the crew are the ones who are using it three, four, you know, maybe even five and six times a day. So they're the ones who are going to see whether it works the way it's supposed to right away, what the problems are, what the challenges are in trying to solve those problems. And, you know, perhaps the owners aren't really experiencing it so much. You know, they'll hear it perhaps from the captains and whatnot, but they're not actually seeing it so much. So I was just wondering how much the decisions were being driven by them or, you know, the other people's input. It's Pretty well, interesting to learn. This, this, this is exactly an, an, an area in our industry that is um, undervalued, and and it's it's a resource that's underutilized. The crew, um, yeah. The, the the owners need to listen to their crew more, and and take their advice. And some do. Don't 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 take this the wrong way. Um, but I can tell you that more often than not, when I have a conversation with a ship's engineer or a captain or, 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 or deckhand, um, they'll tell you that uh, they are brought onto the boat that's under construction way late in the game. Um, again, with some exception, um, but but for the most part, um, they're they're left on the on the boat that they had been working on up until you know maybe just a couple months before the new boat's being ready to be launched. And at that point in time, those decisions are long, long, long made, and 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 their input no longer really has uh, has any uh, uh, influence because the equipment's already on the boat. Right. So a wise uh, yacht owner, um, and frankly, uh, you know, particularly the newer yacht builders that are coming into the industry that don't have you know decades of experience building yachts, would be wise to bring in. Um, crew members and, and talk to them, frankly, about their experiences with different equipment and, um, and use that to influence some of their buying decisions. Yeah, definitely. I agree. That would be great advice. Let's hope we uh, we open the eyes of a couple of people today. I hope so, because companies like ours um, would benefit from that. And, yeah. and, and that, that is, frankly, one of, one of my... Uh, my messages out there, you know, when when you're making a decision about what equipment you're going to buy, our equipment by its nature is some of the more uh, dangerous, uh, you know, risk-prone uh, pieces of equipment you're, you're you're going to put on your boat. You know, you're literally going to, in many cases, have crew and 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 passengers in the tender while it's being launched or retrieved, and. Um, you know, it, it should be a decision that's made with real consideration 
that that transcends just what the piece of equipment is going to cost. Right. And right. Uh, I think the crew's input would have a, have have a, have have a large influence on that. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Let's talk about some of the more memorable projects that Nautical Structures has been involved in. What would you consider to be, say, one of the biggest challenges that the company ever had, and and what made it that way? Was it, you know, a, a design that you had never tackled complexity-wise before, or was it somebody who really strove to do something different? You know, what would you say was was something that really pushed you all to do bigger and better? About four and a half, five years ago, we got a phone call from Don Patton, and uh, he's a man that doesn't need much introduction in our industry. And he was at a shipyard in Germany that was in the process of building a very large yacht and had just come out of a meeting. Apparently the supplier of this German shipyard had to build the tender handling equipment had basically backed out of the deal. Um, the the time frame was, was so crunched. And Don said, well, if you want this equipment built right and, and, and you know, have have a company to stand behind it, you need to call Bob Lean at Nautical Structures, my business partner. And so we get this phone call from Don Patton saying, hey, guys, I've got a 96-meter project over here that needs your equipment. Um, long story short, we spent way too much time in talking about it, but we ultimately did get contracts to build uh, 10-ton overhead cranes for this 96-meter boat that are going to come out this that do come out the side of the vessel, um, carrying these very custom tenders. I mean, each each tender was a little over a million dollar tender. I mm. mean, kind of put it in perspective. Right. Um, custom built. And the tender garage doors, uh, unlike most, opened down instead of up because they wanted to create this huge beach club that you could literally see through the entire beam of the boat um, when the doors are down. So we had to transport these large Uh, 10-ton tenders quite a distance over the doors to get beyond the doors to put them in the water. It got even more interesting. The the specification called for these cranes to be built in stainless steel 316 mirror polished. Mm. So we were building these these cranes. We ended up building a big part of the project uh, in Denmark with an associated company. Um, The engineering uh, thousands of hours went into it, thousands of man hours into the manufacturing of the equipment. Um, we spent two months in the shipyard getting it installed and configured. Um, we learned a lot of lessons about doing business with this large German shipyard, and, and frankly, it forced our company to step up and, and change some of the way we document what we do, how we communicate with our customers. Um, we literally were forced to, uh, by our own decision, hire a project manager full-time just to administer the project. Wow. But in the end of the day, we delivered some of the most amazing crane equipment in the history of our company. They're beautiful cranes. Uh, I think we've got over 40,000 pounds of stainless steel in the wow. construction of them. Um, they use our linear winch technology, um, wireless proportional controls, and uh, the client's very happy with the project. Don Patton's happy with it. And since then, the doors have opened to us for other large yacht builds in Germany, which has been, over the last three years, a big part of nautical structures growth. Good. So 
you know, we, we, we bled quite a bit. We struggled with the project, and uh, in the end, we were successful with it. Good, good. You know, I think at the end of the day, anytime you can say that after a project where, you know, you busted yourselves to the very end, then, uh, you know, even though at the time I'm sure it wasn't pleasant, <laughs> you know, all those blood, sweat, and tears were uh, were worth it. And you didn't ask the big question, did we make any money? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I hope you did. <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately, I think we probably subsidized another billionaire. But Oh, um, no. But but you know what comes out of that is is you're developing technologies and I I think it's naive to think that you can get be in this business and and every project you do you, you know you have different standards of measuring success um, right and and that maybe is what makes our business industry a little different than others um, some industries purely measure success on the commercial profit or loss mm-hmm. you know and and they would consider it a failure a project if they weren't profitable on it. Um, I can tell you over the life of our company that we don't, you know, our, our bank judges, of course, our success based on our P&L statement at the end of the year. And ultimately, I think that is what keeps a business in, in, in business or not. But it, it, in the next breath, I'll say that projects like this, at some point in time, you say, well, you know, if it's not a commercial success, is it an engineering success or is it a product developing, company developing success? And, and and that's exactly what it did for nautical structures. Mm-hmm. And so at that level, it was a big success. Good, good. Yeah, I think there are a lot of companies that have that same experience, you know, whether it's a, a company such as yours or it's a shipyard, it's a designer, you know, even outside of the art realm, any company really. The bottom line is literally and figuratively the bottom line. But any time you can come out of a project where – you know, okay, you didn't make the money you thought you were going to make, but if you learned how to make it profitable or perhaps a little more profitable mm-hmm. the next time and you can repeat it to the point where it does end up turning into the green as opposed to the red, then it is worth the effort. I don't think any company can claim right off the bat the first time they tackle a challenge that it was 100% the financial success that they expected it to be. That, oh, that's no question. Pretty difficult. Yeah, that's pretty difficult. Or if you turn to most manufacturing companies that build a product, they'll they'll tell you they they go through a prototype process and mm-hmm, they'll exactly. they'll spend you know millions of dollars in developing a prototype before they build the first product. In our industry and, and most of what nautical structures builds, what we're delivering to the customer and putting into the field is the prototype. You know mm-hmm. there is no luxury of prototyping in our industry. Someone comes to you and says, "I want this," and it's not been done before. Well, you build it, and so companies that uh, that have prototyping costs, uh, you know, usually amortize those over hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of products. We have to amortize our prototyping cost into the sell price of that first product. Mm-hmm. Thus, people ask the question, why is yacht equipment so expensive? And that's one very good reason is is you may be paying as much for the engineering in this product you just bought as the actual cost to build the product. Right, right, yeah. Very good points. Oh, good. Well, you know, let's let's stay on this topic of challenges um, because there was a, a recent challenge that you had with the new burger, Sakara 4. Um, she's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I can't even tell you how many people from the Midwest to the East Coast 
have been commenting on how they are really impressed with the boat. They really think it is a true classic boat, not a brand-new build. Um, and that's what I think is so interesting as far as what your company was faced with. You know, we're talking an authentic replica of a 1930s cruiser. These are boats that did not have passerelles. They did not have tender launching systems. Mm-mm. So how did you deal with the difficulty of ensuring that what you were going to create was essentially invisible? Well, first of all, we were very fortunate to be able to co-op this project with one of our best clients, Burger Boat Company. Um, you know, and this is another good example of why relationships in this industry industry are so critically important to success. Berger and Nautical have collaborated on so many projects over the years, and we supply the tender handling boarding equipment to virtually every build Berger's done over the last 12 or 14 years now. So we've got this relationship, and we know how they work. They know how we work. Big, big um, leg up, if you will, in, in, in pulling this off. Um, we sat down with them and we looked at the plans and and we discussed you know what they wanted to achieve and our designers and engineers basically uh worked hand in hand with theirs the the good news was for instance on the tender handling equipment we we had solutions we had developed for other builders over the years and what we were able to do is take a fairly conventional deck crane put it on a periscoping standpipe that allowed the deck crane to drop down onto the deck for storage. In that position, it's totally useless as a crane because it's too too low on the deck. Um, but by putting it on a periscoping standpipe, we're able to literally raise the crane vertically about a meter off the deck, which puts it just above uh, typical uh, bulwark rail height. And now it works like a conventional pedestal-mounted deck crane. By doing it that way, Berger is able to build uh, seating and bulwark areas around the crane, and if you look at the uh, secure from uh, essentially a helicopter shot, you'll see how they just absolutely nested their structure with our structure, and and it's seamless. It's it's it doesn't get better than that. So from the dock and from any other boat, you just purely don't see the crane. Uh, but when the crew's ready to use the uh, crane to launch that classic tender they've got on the fantail. Um, they're not dealing with some obscure technology. The crane deploys and becomes a standard crane that they have used on hundreds of other boats before. So, um, you know, we kind of got the best of both worlds going with the uh, tender handling equipment. Passerell, it's a little more interesting. In fact, uh, when Ray Katina, the owner of the Secura 4, went uh, shopping for a shipyard to build the boat, uh, a well-known Italian shipyard that bid the project essentially told them that the uh, automated self-deployed passerelle in a fantail design like that just wasn't possible. Um, Berger was able to demonstrate uh, working with us that not only was it possible, but it was possible to do it very elegantly. So we have a um, a very unique gangway there. Uh, One of the uniquenesses is that the uh, gangway enclosure follows the shear of the vessel, which means it's not going in perfectly horizontal. Um, the byproduct of that is if we had built it conventionally, the gangway would come out with uh, with essentially a, about a two-and-a-half, three-degree upward uh, angle before it deployed, and that would make it kind of difficult to step on and off of and look rather odd. 
So this is the first gangway we ever built with a dog leg in the deploying system where the gangway comes up following the shear of the yacht's deck until about the last two meters, and then the uh, uh, box uh, dog legs down about three and a half degrees to ensure that the gangway deploys in a horizontal, flat, uh, comfortable mode. So you're stepping onto a nice uh, uh horizontal boarding surface rather than stepping onto an inclination. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have about three meters of extended car section, um, of which you only see about one meter. The other two are kind of hidden in that fantail. So we've got a tremendous amount of cantilevered load structure um, coming out of the boat that, that you don't see before you actually see the visual gangway deployed because of the fantail design. Um, so so those are the typical challenges that, that we had to overcome to make this thing work. Um, right. You know, Berger had to build the aft stateroom around the uh, forward end of the enclosure. Did a beautiful job. So if you look at the interior of that aft stateroom and you see this nice embellishment over the bed um, berth, it, 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 looks, um, it, it looks just like an architectural feature inside that stateroom. You wouldn't realize that that's there purely because the gangway lives above the berth. Um, right. You know, so details like that were really pulled off nicely in this build. Yeah, I agree. It was a really successful project all around. Terrific. Yeah, it was so interesting to see the, the photos of the passerelle and, you know, walking around on, on board, seeing the deck crane and just realizing that when you're standing at the dock or when you're on another boat, there's no way you see these things. So it, it really was successful all around. Terrific. To, to, totally successful. I mean, we, yeah. we, we, we took a, a, a piece of naval architecture almost a century old and melded 21st century technologies so seamlessly that, you know, when that boat's cruising or just sitting at the dock, um, you know, it, 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 it doesn't even raise the question. It's, it's, it just looks like it's supposed to look like. And right. that's that's a good that's a good example of a successful project. Great, great. You know, we're getting real close on time here, but I want to make sure that we cover the Angel Hands and Halo projects. Um these are outside of the yacht realm, but I think people would be really interested in learning what they're all about and why nautical structures is involved. Well, nautical structures got involved in the Halo Angel Hands projects because a a gentleman that uh basically ran into us, felt that maybe we could help them with the engineering and manufacturing of of this device. It, it, it fell within the realm of, of lifting and handling, um, but in this case, it was handling patients. Specifically, um, we got involved in a family that had a young man come back from Iraq. He had been hit by a sniper bullet. Um, uh, Long story short, um, he lost the use of his legs. And he was going through the indignity of being manhandled every time he was needed to be moved, uh, you know, from the bed to a wheelchair or to a bath or to a jacuzzi or, or you know, it, it, he, he just, you know, it, it, it really took away the dignity. And, and this is a very common problem. The more we delved into it, we realized the whole healthcare industry has an issue with workers' comp. So many healthcare workers are injured on the job, leaning over patients, having to roll them in and out of slings, 
um, and and manhandle them to get them, you know, from from a from a bed into uh, some other conveyance. So the Angel Hands is a device that that we developed that literally comes in and rolls itself underneath of you mechanically, and it's done in such a way that that's where the name came from. You 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 barely feel it as it as as these reverse sets of belts and rollers move underneath of you. Uh, the the sensation, not to sound corny, was like angel hands, like like uh, um, you know uh, uh, a mysterious set of uh, forces coming underneath of you to 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 grab you. Um, it can be manipulated by the patient if you've got upper body control um, or healthcare workers, and uh, it is still in its developmental prototype. Basis. We have proof of concept done. We've brought it through the VA. They like it. We've got the first units actually in a home with this particular gentleman, um, and uh, we're working on prototypes three and four right now um, with additional electronics that that automatically adjust for its position to the patient and a few things that we're we're, we're dialing in to make this thing a really righteous project. Um, that's that's the short story, Diane. There's there's a lot more to it, and and I think there's a huge potential for this product once it becomes known and um, available on the market. Great, great. Well, if people would like to learn more about it, they can visit your website, uh, which is nautical-structures.com. That's correct. Uh, we're about out of time, unfortunately, but I did want to thank you so much for your time today for giving us some insight into just everything you're doing, you know, the company, the history, and the products that your team is working on. Thanks so much. Thank you, Diane. I appreciate this opportunity to share with you today. Sounds good. Everybody, if you also are a Twitter user, you can follow Rick and the latest Nautical Structures details at twitter.com slash nauticalstruct. That's N A U. T-I-C-A-L-S-T-R-U-C-T. Once again, this is Diane Byrne. Thanks so much for tuning in to Megayat News Radio today. To learn more about the Megayat market, you can read my daily blog and see exclusive videos at www.megayatnews.org.